Hello, it's Monday the 19th of February. I'm Alex von Tanzelman and I saw Wu-Tang Clan legend Jizza at the Jazz Cafe last night, so today I'm afraid it is possible that I may bring the ruckus. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review. Every day in a mic fight with the British press, we swing swords and cut clowns. Watch your step, kid. Protect your neck, kid, because paper cuts ain't nothing to funk with. Before we get going, thanks so much to all of you superstars who've joined the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. We rely on our fabulous supporters to keep us proudly independent, bringing you authentic news and analysis five days a week. For just three quid a month, less than one solitary and probably disappointing coffee, we can give you that with no ads and extra special content. Or as Method Man might say, cash rules everything around me, cream got the money, dollar dollar bill you Get in, there's a link in the show notes. Now, here are the top stories for today's show. Don't bad a knock it if you haven't tried it. Kemi bad knock hits back at claims government officials tried to delay post office compensation till after the election. It's the bomb. Oppenheimer wins big at the BAFTAs, leaving Barbie in the dust. And no, they haven't. The Daily Star claims to have solved the JFK assassination. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we shimmy shimmy ya, shimmy yam, shimmy yay. I'm Alex von Tanzelman, and with me today is journalist and Shaolin shadow boxer John Ellidge. I, have I had the stroke? I don't know. <laughs> I've not understood a single word of this show so far. What no, the I, hell is happening? I can't help it if you're not cool enough to know the Wu Tang Clan references. And also with me is comedian and killer bee Matt Green. Hello, Matt. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. What are the front pages looking like, John? It's one of those days where there's no consensus about what the lead story is. They're all over the shop, it must be said. The Eye, not for the first time, has Hunt, budget tax cuts possible without reducing public spending. Yeah, which right. Which is a lie. <laughs> um, the Times has gone with schools will get greater powers to ban mobiles, which is which is interesting because I thought they could already do that. Basically, they so already do, yeah. yeah. It, it does kind of feel like the government is reaching a bit... Daily Telegraph, we're going to be coming back to this one. Badnock accuses post office boss of lying in Horizon Row. Yummy. Uh, and lastly, <laughs> The Guardian, Putin accused of covering tracks over Navalny death. Goodness. And Matt, you've got the tabloids. As John said, they're all very different. Uh, the Mirror is also going with the post office scandal. Now make them pay. Fury after claims Tories try to stall payments to Horizon victims. The Sun has gone with a story that no one else has got, an exclusive drugs factory in Prem Star's house. Premier League star has found out that one of his houses has been turned into a cannabis farm. But not by him. But not by him. And it's not very clear what else is going on with that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think if if you can not notice that one of your houses has been turned into a cannabis farm, it's possible you have too many houses. <laughs> yes, I think, I think a reasonable point. point. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely fair point there. Daily Mail has gone with, can our police sink any lower with a question mark? And the problem is, every time you get one of those headlines, you think, unfortunately, probably the answer is yes. Mm. Um, and... Um, Finally, the Daily Star has gone with Undead as the Dodo. A real Jurassic Park boffins have cracked Dodo's DNA and plan to bring it back to life. And for some reason, they've got a picture of Donald Trump and Joe Biden at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Suggesting that I'm not sure if they're Dodos or if they need to be brought back to life, but there's something going on there. And the Dodo is saying, not you two old farts yes. to them. So, so maybe that's, that's what's going on. Excellent. Um, now, one really big serious story over the weekend was, of course, the untimely death of Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny. A lot of Western governments are holding Vladimir Putin responsible. But this morning, John, the newspapers are focusing on another question. Where's the body? 
Yes, uh, Navalny's mother and lawyers have not been allowed into the morgue to see it. There are some quotes from a, a paramedic who is uh, in, involved in collecting him that have been doing the rounds this morning. It says it's been covered in uh, the body was covered in bruises, which suggests convulsions from some kind of seizure. Mm. Uh, this is a quote. So they did try to resuscitate him, and he probably died of cardiac arrest. But nobody is saying anything about why he had a cardiac arrest. Mm. There's also uh, the same paramedic, I think, uh, also said that normal procedures not been followed. Usually the bodies of people who die in prison are taken straight to the Bureau of Forensic Medicine. But in this case, it was taken to the clinical hospital for some reason. They drove him to the morgue, brought him in and then stationed two policemen in front of the door. They might as well have put up a sign saying something mysterious is going on here. Oh, dear. And yes, that's the Guardian's front page stories you read out that... Putin's now being accused of covering his tracks over it. I mean, not very convincingly. Well, I, I never, it never feels to me like he wants to be that convincing. Like, mm. it always feels like this kind of sort of double think thing where he's like, he kind of, he knows he has to deny it. But at the same time, he sort of wants people to know that he will off the opposition if required. It does seem to be quite a high death rate, doesn't it? There? It does. Oh, a lot of people um, standing too close to windows. Yeah, very unfortunate. Um Matt, let's turn to the back pages where the big story uh, is an absolute meltdown in English cricket. What happened? Well, yes, the Mail have got um, a new low and uh, a new one. <laughs> a new one. Uh, the Telegraph have gone with England need plan B after humiliation. Basically, what's happened is that England's uh, test team uh, have suffered the biggest defeat since the war. I think, didn't we win the war? Yeah. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, their biggest cricket defeat right, since the war. Right, thank you, yes. Um, they lost to India by 436 runs, which, if you don't know cricket, is a lot of runs. I mean, that is a lot. That's yeah. um, to, to, to put it in sort of football terms, that's like losing 10-0 or something. <laughs> um. Now, the latest in the ongoing post office horizon scandal. Business Secretary Kemi Badenoch is on the warpath after the former post office chairman, Henry Staunton, gave an interview to the Sunday Times in which he suggested he was told to stall compensation spending for scandal victims in advance of the forthcoming general election. John, what's going on here? So in this interview, Staunton said a couple of interesting things. First off, he, he found out that he'd been sacked when Sky News called him for comment about it, Ooh. which is lovely. Oh, dear. Uh, he phoned Kemi Badnock and was told, someone's got to take the rap, mm. which, uh, given the post office scandal, is a little bit on the tiny violin side. But mm. I do wonder if what follows is maybe sort of motivated by that, because he also gave the following quote. I was told by a fairly senior person to stall on spend on compensation and on the replacement of Horizon, and to limp, in quotation marks, this is him saying this, by the way, not me, and to limp, in quotation marks, I did file a note on it, limp into the election. It was not an anti-postmaster thing, it was just straight financials. In other words, there was pressure from the government to slow down the rate at which compensation was paid to these uh, victims of a horrendous miscarriage of justice because, I mean, presumably because there were more money available for tax cuts is what I'm guessing here. Badnock inevitably is as hit back on Twitter, which I'm still refusing to call X. Mm -hmm. She said, far from taking the rap, I dismissed Staunton due to very serious allegations about his conduct while chair of the post office, including blocking an investigation into that conduct conduct. Uh, he had a lack of grip on getting justice for postmasters. The serious concerns over his conduct were the reasons I asked him to step down. She has said she will be saying more today. She's scheduled to give a statement to the Commons uh, this afternoon, so I assume that's what it is. The whole thing feels a bit kind of alien versus predator. And, like, there's, no, <laughs> yes. there's not a good guy here, is there? <laughs> mm, um, but I, I mean, there is a slight ring of truth to the idea that Kemi Badnock might have a, a flexible relationship with, with honesty. 
right. and 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 a measure of self-interest in her conduct. Yeah. I think. Well, she's certainly pretty much calling Henry Staunton a liar, isn't she? I mean, she so... absolutely is. But like, I mean, it's been a thing with her ever since she gained prominence. She's very good at kind of like doing a very serious face, like looking very self-righteous and then justifying whatever terrible thing she's just done as if it's the most moral thing in the world. So I'm not. I'm, I'm not necessarily trusting her view on this one. Mm, right, it's going to run and run. And a story in The Guardian yesterday suggested that several MPs have contacted Sir Graham Brady, head of the 1922 committee, to tell him that they think the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak should step down before the election. Kemi Badnock is allegedly a member of this conservative WhatsApp group called Evil Plotters. Um, I know, (laughs) alongside Michael Gove. Hard to believe, Matt, isn't it, that that group wasn't lighting up like a beacon yesterday with all of this? It has just made me think that the government are talking about banning phones in schools, and I think perhaps they would do better banning phones in the cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Because the number of WhatsApp, the number of stories that we've seen over the last few months about WhatsApp groups is fairly extraordinary, and I think they've got a similar problem to what's happening with the Democrats at the moment in the states, where there's all these people saying Biden's too old. We've, we're really worried about the fact that Biden's too old. We've got to be, you know, we really ideally would like to replace him, but then don't do anything about it. Mm. And it's a, and, and so all that they do is they raise that story's salience in the uh, eyes of the public, but then don't do anything about it. And I think it's the same with this, that there's lots of people saying, we're thinking about putting letters into Sir Graham Brady. I've considered writing a letter. I I mean, I'd literally opened the document and I, I, you know, my fountain pen was, but I haven't quite done it yet. It's that sort of, <laughs> well, do something, you know, shit will get off the pot in the end, you know, because they're saying, well, the best option would be for him to step down voluntarily, <laughs> which is like, well, of course, but that means that you don't have to do anything. That's mm. why you think it's the best option. Well, it also implies to me that they don't, in fact, have the votes. No. Because if they thought they could take him down, they would just take him down. Yeah. Like saying to him, oh, really, you're going to be in trouble if you don't if you don't go of your own accord. That just, that, what that tells me is they don't have the numbers. Yeah, mm. they're bluffing. And, yeah. and there's a great line um, from a Tim Shipman article in the Sunday Times where someone who's a supporter of Sunak said, because there was all this talk before um, the last couple of weeks of there being a grid of shit that the mm. anti-Sunak people were going to, um, unleash and the quote is their grid of shit has turned it just into a shit grid <laughs> I fucking hate the lobby <laughs> what are these people talking about but but the other thing in the news this, this morning is a poll um, which was done for the Conservatives by Lady McAlpine showing that voters when they're given various options as possible other Conservative leaders the only other leader that they think would be better than Starmer is drumroll Boris Johnson. Oh, no. Did you see that he has <laughs> reportedly been texting a lot of Tory MPs to see how they think things are going? Oh, my God. Amazing. Oh, my God. Give it up. And quote, the quote is, Lady McAlpine said that if she believed that if Mr Johnson led a squeaky new clean Conservative Party... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't I think mean, that's actually yeah. a real thing, though. That's and the problem. maybe also if he had a pet unicorn yeah. to help lead okay. that party. Okay, but banter timeline. They decide to parachute him back in. Somebody steps down. And he loses. He, he loses the by-election. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I now want to happen. Oh, yeah, 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 that would be great. I mean, John, you wrote a horrifying article this week. Suggesting, I did. I often do. <laughs> suggesting that the election might not even happen this year. I mean, it can. The last possible day is January twenty eighth next year, mm. which I think is a Tuesday, confusingly. But like that is, that is like the last day it is legally permissible. Mm. And I just think if you kind of think it through, like why is he going to press the button any earlier than he has to? They're mm. twenty points behind in the polls. Mm. 
every time, like we keep getting to these moments where like they're meant to, they do things and they're meant to change the narrative and they never do. They remain 20 points behind with the polls. They're talking about the autumn, but there's basically like a three or four week window in mm-hmm. early September where he has to jump. And if he doesn't do that, then there won't be an election in October. Then we're into a clash of the US presidential. Then we're very possibly into a clash with like the transition period to Trump two attack mm-hmm. of the clones. And Christmas. And yep. Christmas. And then suddenly, oops, you're out of time. Mm. So I think basically, like if he doesn't call the election by something like September 20th, that's it. We're mm. through to January. And there's a lot of talk that basically they're waiting for the local elections to be bad. And then maybe at that so point, yeah. something will happen. But why would it? Yeah, why would you? Why would you jump unless you're pushed? Yeah, I mean, as it stands, like they're all getting paid. Yeah, yeah I mean, just exactly. fundamentally on that level, they're all getting paid now. They're not going to be paid after the election. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Easy decision. Now, last night it was the BAFTAs, the British film and TV industry's starry night of self-congratulation. Amid the glitter and the gloss, Matt, what was the big news of the night? Well, the big winner was Oppenheimer, Mm -hmm. um, as I think quite a lot of people suspected. But it won big. It won Best Film, Best Director, Best Actor for Cillian Murphy, Cinematography and a few other um, technical awards. So, you know, huge winner. David Tennant hosted by all accounts, did very well. And the other kind of interesting thing I thought was that The Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer's um, fantastic film, won uh, Best Film Not in the English Language and also Best British Film Mm. for possibly the first and suspect last time. I can't imagine there will be many other films made not in English, uh, English language that will also be British films. Although that does say something about the way that films are funded now, that... There's so much funding coming from all sorts of different places that a film funded in Britain can be made in Germany about a Polish situation. So, yeah, there's all sorts of um, interesting things going on there. Uh, Prince William was there as well at the um, awards, although didn't apparently didn't really do anything in the ceremony, just was, was there um, Well, you know, watching. yeah, royals. Yeah, and Michael J. Fox arguably got the biggest ovation of the night. Uh, he presented Best Film. It was a real surprise. And um, obviously someone who's been horribly affected by Parkinson's and he did a great speech, introduced the best film and got a standing ovation. Not a dry eye in the house. And nothing for Barbie, because, of course, last year's big news was Barbenheimer. Yeah. Um, but Oppenheimer cleaned up. Barbie Barbie got now. Oppenheimer yeah. is the better film, though, isn't it? Come on, no, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> the Barbie movie was just like, it was the Lego movie again, but not as good and with like a feminist desktop theme. And the Ooh. feminism doesn't work at all if you think it through. It's terrible. Of course the feminism doesn't work. <laughs> the film doesn't work if you think it through. But I don't know. It was more fun than Oppenheimer, though. I did. I I had more fun in Oppenheimer. No, you didn't. I did. I liked both of them uh, in different Thank ways. You. Centrist voice, but I reason. do. I I did think Oppen. If I had had a vote, I would have voted for Oppenheimer. I think, or possibly the Zone of Interest, because again, I saw that and I thought it was a superb film. But it was again, as these award ceremonies always do, raises the the point of like, how can you compare these things? Because Oppenheimer and Barbie. Very entertaining. Oppenheimer's got a kind of philosophical thing going on. Barbie's got sort of an interesting satirical thing going on, whether or not you think it worked or not. But The Zone of Interest was just a brutal, but also brilliantly filmed, interesting way of filming something that you sort of think, how can you film this? Uh, the sound design was excellent, all these different things. So how, how you compare these different things and say one is better than the others, is, as always, is silly. 
Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, that is my problem with awards ceremonies, apart from also me not winning anything, is that... Um, what were you up for? <laughs> absolutely nothing. <laughs> the best film viewer. <laughs> sure, definitely not even close to it. Um, no, it's not pure jealousy, but it is... I, I do think you're always comparing apples and oranges or sort of even more random than that because, yeah. you know, those films have completely different purposes. They're yeah. trying to do different things. So how can you possibly say which... I mean, they both succeed in their goal to some extent, you know. And I mean, also, of course, the point of a lot of these films, I mean, the point of films ultimately in terms of something like Barbie is to make a lot of money, which it indeed did. Barbie certainly made a lot of money. It was the most successful film, biggest box office hit of last year. But yeah, and how do you compare that to The Zone of Interest or even Poor Things or any of these other mm. um, films? It's kind of bizarre. I did just want to mention um, that there wasn't, I thought, a very sort of touching, interesting um, political um, acceptance speech from James Wilson, who was the producer of The Zone of Interest, which, if you don't know, is set in the... in. The, the house next to Auschwitz, essentially, the family of the um, commandant of Auschwitz. And the film is about how people can live next to something terrible happening and sort of ignore it and put it out mm. of their minds. And he um, did a very pointed speech where he said, it seems stark right now that we should care about innocent people being killed in Gaza and Yemen in the same way you think about innocent people being killed in Mariupol and Israel or anywhere else in the world. Thank you for recognising a film that asks us to think in those spaces, which I thought was a very good... Way of, a big round of applause. Yeah, it, big it? round of applause and uh, made the point, which I think is uh, is important. Now on Papercuts, you know we love sub-editors and their great art, the art of the headline. Papercuts is, of course, the home of headlines. We are the sub-sanctuary, the puns palace, the double entendres, double-wide trailer. And it's Monday, so it's time for the result of Friday's Fix the Headline competition. This is where we find a great story with a eh, not-great headline, and we offer it up to you, the Papercuts listeners, so you can give it the header it deserves. On Friday, we gave you a headline from The Star, usually brilliant, about Keith Richards suggesting he doesn't need nappies just yet, with the rather underwhelming headline, Nappies Can Wait for Keith. We knew you could do better, and you did. R. Thomas, 95814, gave us sympathy for the devil. Griftery gave us wild asses, like that. Joel Rowlings gave us dumping Jack Flash. Yeah. But the winner is Smint 100 with I Can't Get No Pampers Action. Yes, congratulations, Smint 100. You'll be getting a Paper Cuts t-shirt. Now, on to today's headlines. John, what do the papers have for us? As ever, I've not read these in advance, so these are genuine reactions we're going to get here. <laughs> this is The Sun, page 23. Food hygiene inspectors visited Nando's after staff extended used-by dates on food to the point where it stank. Oh. The the headline is Ricky Nando's. Oh, I like bad. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. not bad. That's made me think twice about my dining choices. <laughs> In the Star, page twenty one, uh, an architect smashed his two hundred thousand pound yacht into rocks after drinking at least a bottle of wine. In Sullivan, fifty six, seriously injured three passengers after crashing the cruiser named Sully near Totland Bay on the Isle of Wight in twenty twenty two. The headline is "Swigging in the Rigging." <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. There's a horrifying awesome. picture. Okay, I'll tell you what I find horrifying about this picture is that yacht doesn't look worth two hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It doesn't even look like a bloody yacht. Nah. Like it's like this is worse than the British housing market. <laughs> <laughs> if that's all you're getting for your money. 
It's a launch, I would suggest. Yes. Not a yacht. And finally, from me, the Mirror, Post 23, a mum had a surprise visit from a hungry badger, which chewed through her door and raided her kitchen cupboard. Didn't there used to be a a children's BBC programme? This was basically the plot. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Anyway, the uh, Charlotte Glazer came home to find her house wrecked by the unwelcome guest. The whole place was trashed. I quickly realised there was nothing human about this. I just didn't know what kind of animal. Uh, Anyway, the headline is, My Kitchen in Tudor. 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 Yeah, 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 kind of. Nice badger picture as well. And Matt, what have you got? Well, this is in The Sun, page three. There's been a survey that found... Lovers in bed have suffered a string of sex-based injuries, including knocking themselves out. Nearly one in 25 have been KO'd by falling out of bed during sex. Oh. And the headline is, Tumble in the Fumble. Oh, very good. Yes, I like that. Quite like that one. Is Um, someone selling something? With things like this, I always assume it's a survey for someone to sell something. Probably somewhere. I can't. Oh, yeah, the uh, sex toys retailer, Love Honey. Oh, there you go. There's always always a sex toy retailer at the bottom of these things. Um, (laughs) That's my rule for tabloids. (laughs) (laughs) A little headline at the bottom of page eight in the sun. Brummies, people from Birmingham, are the angriest Brits getting and staying crossed for 80 hours a year, a a poll shows. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst the Welsh are the calmest people, apparently, in Britain. My Uh, mum's a Brummie, so I'll let her know. Does that fit? Yeah. Watch out. Do let her know, but take take steps yeah, to carefully. Yeah, yes, step back. Uh, uh, and the headline is "Raging Bull Ring." Oh, that's pretty good. It's good if you know Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there the other day, uh, and there is a, there is a big bull statue in the bull ring. There now. is. It's rather it's nice. It's quite, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think Birmingham is underrated as a city. Oh, well, there you go. That's nice. You don't hear that very often. As people this, from is this is why this is why it's true, though. It's, <laughs> like, you know, it's a perfectly fine city. And we are currently sponsored by the Birmingham Tourist Board. Yes, Um, perfectly fine. (laughs) uh, And uh, page 17 of The Sun, two of three surviving models of the first desktop PC, the Q1 from 1972, were found during a London house clearance. And the headline is Chip Chip Hooray. Ah, nice. Now revel with us in the mad delights of the middle pages. Yes, it's the features sections. And today we've got John's and my fave. It's the JFK assassination and the Daily Star solved it. This is an exclusive interview with a man named Michael Franzese, who was a captain in New York's notorious Colombo crime family. Right. There's just Columbo one thing. Colombo crime family. I've seen that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to be honest up front here. I, I don't think this is true. I think maybe this is <laughs> untrue. Are you saying what? a mobster is lying? Yeah. <laughs> so He's the, the mob- captain, though. Captains are meant to be good people. The, so the mobster in question is 72 years old, which mm. if you do the maths means he would have been 12 at the time <laughs> of the assassination. <laughs> so, so, you know, great. You've got to watch those kids. Yeah. Uh, he says that the uh, it's common knowledge within the mob that the CIA are them to arrange the shooting and he says I know this for a fact and this information is eventually going to come out my favourite quote in the story though is I will take it to my grave he says in a British national newspaper (laughs) 
Uh, he's also, um, Michael Franzese is also, by the way, about to go on a motivational speaking tour of the UK, oh. which I think is possibly the reason why he's giving giving interviews about who shot JFK. I, I think I can actually tell you who shot JFK. Would you like to know? I'd love to. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. There wasn't a second shooter. He did it. Afraid so. Acting alone with a gun. It's really boring. The guy was like, the guy was clearly unstable. There's like an extensive trail of evidence linking him to the crime. He did it. Yeah, he blatantly did it. I can't but... believe you're part of the deep state, John. <laughs> Can I just go back on um, a former mobster is doing a motivational speaking tour? What's, oh, yeah, he's reformed. He, what's the... <laughs> I was going to say, is it just him going it, like, I... here's how you really punch someone if you don't want to, but if you've really got to get some money out of somebody? I, I don't know. I mean, apparently he's not been a mobster since the mid-1990s. Right. He went, to, he went to jail on conspiracy charges for 10 years in 1986. And when he got out, he decided to leave the mob because he thought it was unfair on his, his second wife and seven children. Right. right. And become um, a motivational speaker. Yeah. But he's very happy. He says, you know... You know, finally, I outlasted everybody. Everybody I know is either dead or in prison for the rest of their life. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that is quite motivating. Yeah, and now he could just make stuff up about JFK because yeah. there's no one to contradict <laughs> him. So it works perfectly. When we're looking at US politics, Matt, uh, Donald Trump, of course, rarely out of the headlines. He's got something to sell us, hasn't he? He has. And uh, I mean, this could have been in the headlines. Uh, the headlines uh, have been things like Trump's pumps and Donald pumps mm. because after being fined over $400 million last week, uh, Donald Oof. Trump, uh, let's not forget, probably going to be the candidate for the Republican Party in the presidential election this year. He unveiled his new range of sneakers. Right. Which are called the Never Surrender High Tops. <laughs> Never Surrender High Tops mm. at SneakerCon in Philadelphia. Right. And what's kind of interesting is that he unveiled this at this big sneaker convention and he got cheered but also got booed by some people as well, which mm. might not mean anything, but there's a slight sense, I think, that even maybe some of his supporters are going, hang on, he got fined loads of money and now he's selling cheap um, trainers for a lot of money. Mm. Is that really like a good thing? Apparently, these cost $400 each. So, Gosh. by my calculations, per yeah, per <laughs> shoe, yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Yeah, the, the right shoe costs a dollar, the left shoe costs $400. So, by my calculations, he only has to sell, I think, maybe two or three million of them. And mm. um, well, you know, he's made his, made his uh, fine. Million. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, problem is that they're apparently only in a limited edition uh, and they've only made a thousand. Oh. So oh dear. Um, they oh saw that immediately. Although based on what we know about him inflating his own values, it's possible that he just bought them all himself just to jack up the prices later. Mm, yes, it is. And can you tell us what they look like? I mean, because obviously we are an audio show, but I'm sure our listeners would love uh, some sort of visual sense. Well, all I'll say is imagine what you think some trainers sold by Donald Trump would look like. And you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> They're gold, they've got the American flag on them, they've got tea on them, and they look like they'll fall apart within three or four days. <laughs> 400 bucks, guys, get in. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John Elledge. Thank you. Thanks to Matt Green. Thank you. Don't forget the Paper Cut Supporters Club. Just three quid a month for all this, fewer ads and more of the good stuff. Head over to back.papercutsshow.com and follow the link in the show notes. 
I've been Alex von Tunzelman and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when boffins have revealed why wombats do cuboid poos. It's because their peristaltic gut contractions vary by a factor of two in thickness and four in stiffness to produce pellets with flat faces and sharp corners. I just thought they had square bums. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> Paper Cuts was written and presented by Alex von Tunzelman with Matt Green and John Ellidge. The producer was Liam Tate, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams, socials by Jess Harpin, design by Jim Parrott, with original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh, managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. Paper Cuts.